Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Daniel Kennedy. Daniel is a literary translator based in France. He's a two-time Yiddish Book Center translation fellow, managing editor for translations at Ingeweb, a journal of Yiddish studies, and co-founder of Farlog Press. In the recently published Warsaw Stories, translated by Daniel Kennedy, Nomberg's stories explore modern Jewish life in the growing cosmopolitan city of Warsaw. Young intellectuals in pursuit of truth, beauty, and love, working-class fathers tempted by schemes for easy money, teenagers divided by their traditional religious upbringings, and the world of secular culture and political revolution. A great collection translated by Daniel Kennedy. Welcome, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. And um, the noise in the background, which we can acknowledge for our listeners, is because I'm speaking to you in France. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the phone in my apartment, and it's a very, very noisy apartment. There's a huge fountain outside, and there's an ambulance, and yeah. a tram, and it's a mess. It, it, it transports us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the siren is much more um, musical than those here in the States. That's true. They have a different, um, different song. <laughs> Very well put. Um, so first off, congratulations on the recently published Warsaw Stories, your translation of the work of Hirsch Daven Nomberg. It's just a tremendous collection, and we're so excited to have it in our hands and reading it. Um, all of the members of the Great Jewish Books Book Club around the globe have been um, just devouring it, and there's a lot of really fun conversation about it. So thank you for it. Thank you. Um, so I guess I have two questions to start us off, and I'll leave you to decide how and which order you want to um, answer them in. One, I'm curious to know how you found your way to Yiddish tra you know, translation or the translation of Yiddish work, and also to the work of Nomberg. Mm -hmm. um, oh, God, those are very large and boring questions. I mean, the questions are interesting, <laughs> but the answer is, is inevitably going to be very boring. We'll make them short and pithy, then. <laughs> okay. Um, I came to Yiddish just by reading Yiddish in translation. So I didn't don't know anything about Yiddish, and I came across some short stories by Abby Singer and, and Shoal Malechem, and I, I, I devoured those, and I really got into it. And then a couple of years later, I found out that there was a, an intensive summer course in, in, in Vilnius, Lithuania, and that's when I started to learn Yiddish, and then I kind of forgot to stop. I continued learning Yiddish until I became, um, you know, good at it. And eventually I had to find some, some way of using, you know, the vast amounts of useless arcane knowledge that I had amassed. And I went back to trans. That was when I went back to translation, um, when I saw the Yiddish Book Center's Translation Fellowship, which I applied for. And that really kind of brought me back full circle. I started by reading Yiddish in translation, and now I am translating Yiddish, which makes it seem like the whole thing was a plan, but it, it wasn't. Uh, I always think we find our way to those things <laughs> which seem to propel us forward in ways we couldn't have imagined. And, and also the idea that um, you're out there, as well as many of your colleagues, being able to work on um, translation of Yiddish literature, to me, is fascinating um, and exciting for us readers. So Nomberg wrote about Warsaw, and I think it's safe to say it was an interesting time, um, and he wasn't lacking for subject matter. Um, let's talk a little bit about how he found his way. I know that 
he came from a religious background. Arriving in Warsaw, he sought out parrots, as many of his contemporaries, Avram Risen, Sholomash, and they found a champion in parrots. How do you think, again, that he found his way there and that he fit into this literary circle? So, yeah, he really did follow the same trajectory as almost all of the famous Yiddish writers. It's almost like a, the life cycle of a, of a Yiddish writer. It's the larval stage, he's a, he's a Hasidic, brought up in a small town in a Hasidic community. Um, he was, you know, excelled at, at, at learning. He went, to, he, was, he went to yeshiva and then eventually experienced a sort of crisis of faith, um, influenced mostly by reading you know, forbidden literature, secular literature in Russian and, 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 and German. And he started to write his own poems and, and stories, not yet in Yiddish, but in, in Russian and, um, and, and Hebrew. And eventually, you know, he was, well, for, in Nomberg's case, he was sort of kicked out of his, of his home. He, he, he was, at this stage, he was married, had, uh, had two, two small kids and, and later three. But his his father-in-law was was deeply disturbed by Nomberg's um, secular interest in literature and basically becoming an atheist, and so he was he was more or less forced to to, to run away to to, to Warsaw. Um, and there he yeah he he was one of the first who came to see to see Peretz as the great you know. As the center of Yiddish literature, and was, you know, encouraged to write in in Yiddish, and started writing poems and stories, and articles, which were published with increasing frequency. He he wrote both literary work, like the collection of stories, Warsaw stories. He also was involved, as you say, in journalism and newspapers and. Um, he left Warsaw, he came back to Warsaw. Can you speak a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so he really was, I mean, he, he made most of his money from, from newspapers. He was an editor. He, he, he ended up being an editor on, on, on two major Warsaw newspapers, uh, one in Hebrew and one in Yiddish. Um, and that was really where all the money was. Books were, were just a sort of, well, books, books came much later. I mean, people published their stories in the press and republished them in different newspapers and so on. And that was where they got there. That was where they, they started to make money. Um, and books were kind of an afterthought. You'd make a collection of your, of your you know, most popular works and, and not really make any money out of those. But he, he really was one of the early ones to, to set up almost like a network of, um, of links between different cities. He, he, moved to, he moved to Riga, and he set up the first just briefly, but he moved there for a couple of years, and he set up the first Yiddish newspaper in Riga. Uh, he spent time in, in Vilnius there, which um, had its own little Yiddish literary scene, and he, he built up the links between between Warsaw and Vilna, and was like acted like a mentor to younger writers, um, often quite, you know, having like a real influence over over a whole generation of, of younger writers. So in a way, he was he was much more. Um, influential just in terms of his networking and, and, and his influence on the literary scene as well as his, his own writing. 
And it's interesting, you mentioned the, um, the connection with a lot of the work first appearing in newspapers, um, which I think is something we see with many in many instances, um, which is a good segue into, and help me if I pronounce this incorrectly, um, Fligelman? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, is, it's not a, it's not Fligelman, it's Fligelman, Yeah. I'm sure you can pronounce it both ways. It's, okay. a, it's a normal, it's a normal, it's a surname. Okay. Um, an unforgettable character. Um, and safe to say was uh, instrumental in launching his literary career? Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah. for people who haven't read the book yet, yeah. Legalman is the protagonist of the first of the stories. And he's basically this um, slightly exaggerated, but it depends. But he's this, you know, extremely intellectual young man who's moved to the big city and he's abandoned his traditional Jewish background and he wants to become a philosopher and a teacher and a, and a, a writer and all of these things. So he's, he's, he's very much um, like you know, the intellectual European modern man, but um, he's not, you know, it's, he's, he's kind of a tragic figure. Or a funny figure. It depends. Every time I read it, it's I get a different, I have a different um, reaction to Fligelman. But he's he's sort of become get became a stock character. He's like the 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 Jewish version of a of like a Russian superfluous man trope. And um, many of the other stories in the collection are, are basically just reiterations of, of this sort of character. These strange lost. modern young people who, who can't really fit in with the, they haven't really learned how to, to fit in with modern the modern world, but they also haven't really learned how to forget the past. May I ask, do you find him to, the character to be somewhat autobiographical? I don't, to, to a certain extent, not really. I think he's more like, he's more like the, everyone, I think everyone knows some Fliegel than mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like, you know, he's the, I think Nomberg wasn't, wasn't quite so ide, you know, idealistic or he wasn't quite so uh, intense as, as, as the Fliegelman character. Um, but he certainly, you'd see these people in, you know, poets and philosophers and, and writers in his, in his entourage would have been like, like these characters. In, in the introduction, you cite, um, Abraham Sewell, uh, mm-hmm. who noted of the character Flegelman, um, everyone instantly recognizes Flegelman, often in his own breast. The streets are teeming with Flegelmans. Nothing depicts him with apparent objectivity, yet he secretly detests him with a contemptuous irony, for he himself is also Flegelman. I think that that says a lot about the character and and what readers can extract from him and and the scene, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I read, I, I think it's different people react to it differently. But I think I find that fun, that story quite funny, just because he's this sort of. If you if you look at the the really exaggerated aspects of his character, like he's he's quite ridiculous. You know, he's pretentious and he's he's absurdly um, intellectual. He, he talks about nothing but you know Spinoza and. Schopenhauer, um, but at the same time, I think it's a sympathetic parody of, of this sort of 
sort of person. The thing I like about him most is that he's one of his um, his quirks is that he pays his landlady an extra ruble every month because he, he wants a window where the moon shines in at night. And for him, this is very important. And all of his other you know friends laugh at him for why would you pay a ruble for it for the moon? I mean, this is a lot of money we're talking about at the time. But um, for him, it's very important to have some sort of link to the to the I don't know the aesthetic poetic aspects of life. It, there's also a description of Nomberg that appears in the book and describes him as sort of a new, part of the new wave of Yiddish writers who made a name for himself, as it says, with characteristically atmospheric short stories populated by artists, philosophers, and other outcasts. Can you? speak a bit about this in terms of where he falls within sort of his contemporaries in the landscape of those who are writing about life and times at that point in well, it's kind of yeah it's in, it's an interesting little he's kind of between between everything he's between different worlds and it's, it's he's like he's a representative of almost the subgenre that doesn't that has been forgotten about he's like the most famous of this small group of writers, none of whom have been translated into English. Um, so he's kind of like, he's not the first generation of Yiddish writers, and he's not the, he's not the real famous generation of, of modernist Yiddish writers who came after him. Uh, he wrote in Yiddish, but he also wrote in Hebrew. Um, he wrote most of the same stories, like he did different versions of them in, in both languages. And sometimes it's not even clear which one was the original language. So there's a Fliegelman in, in Hebrew as well, and many of the other stories are also available in his, in his Hebrew version. Um, but for example, he, he, was, he was very similar to other, other writers like, um, like Berkovich and, and Zalman Schneider's early stuff. Um, so all of these are, are, are writers interested in the, these sort of, this sort of trope of the, of the, of the, the modern, deracinated, uprooted, half-secular, half-assimilated Jew in Eastern Europe. My first introduction was through your translations um, a, a while back by Eitan Kensky, who I know you worked with um, early mm -hmm. on in this, in bringing this collection to publication. And, and Eitan described the work as modernist. I also think that, and maybe this is part of that, that there's a bit of melodrama and romanticism to his writing, and that he was a very keen observer and on the move and, and all of that, but he writes in an interesting way to me, and I don't know if that's true for others uh, that were his contemporaries or that's unique to his voice. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I usually pretend to know a lot about, about literature, but I actually don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know Nomberg. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, know, I know all of the words, but I don't know how, how to interpret them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I think there is a sort of romanticism in him, in that he is very, I feel, almost sentimentally attached to, to to his Jewish background. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people saying of him like it doesn't really sound as Jewish as other Yiddish writers. It sounds almost neutral, as if you could as if you, as if you could lift out these characters and situations and replace them with with. Polish characters or Russian characters or whatever, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think there's a very, very much the undercurrent of it, of of his of the things he's interested in are are the uh, 
the, the Jewish people and the, the, the people he knows in, 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 in Russia at the time. Not just, I think what's different about Nauberg and other, from other Yiddish writers is he talks a lot about assimilated and half-assimilated and, and the different levels and the, the sort of complex um, different types of, 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 of Jewish life in, in Eastern Europe. But there is a romanticism there. For example, he, he travels a lot and he goes, he talks about lots of different countries. In his other, these are, these, all the stories in this collection are based in Warsaw, but he also traveled a lot in Eastern Europe, and, I mean, in Western Europe, and in, in Palestine, and America, and um, the Soviet Union later, and South America. But he always talks, he's always only interesting when he talks about the people from home, the other people who are traveling, the people he meets, who also come from Warsaw, or, or Russia, or Poland. And that's really what he's always been interested in. So, as a translator, I'm always um, marvel at what you do and, and, and your other colleagues. How hard is it to find his voice? I mean, because you're both translating something that was written over 100 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and you're also doing a work that needs to have its own literary uh, legs. Um, so, again, how hard was it for you to find that voice? It's an interesting question because I'm, this is the first thing I, I've translated, really, and since then I've translated, you know, lots of other authors and lots of different styles and lots of different, you know, genres like nonfiction and, and, and memoirs and so on. Um, and I think going back to it, Nomberg's style is just, it's very simple and it's very, um, it's all there on the page. There's not, even if you don't, you know, there's irony there, but I think it, it, it jumps out and it's, it's not the it's, it's quite it's quite straightforward his style I think and it's um, I think I think it works I don't know I haven't read my translation recently but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've managed to get something of, of the Nomberg style oh I don't think anybody I, doubts that <laughs> but I do think I do think it it, it, it it appealed to me originally and that's why I chose it for the style I thought the style was something that was different there's a lovely way that he brings the reader into the story. You feel as if you've been introduced to the characters. You feel as though you sort of understand uh, the landscape, the spaces that they inhabited the, yeah, um, in, a, in a very, I don't know if intimate way, but just in a very, as you say, it's very straightforward, but in a well-crafted way. Yeah, the style is straightforward, but I think, I think, um, I think it's what's going on underneath is, is relatively complex but I like what, what's interesting is there are all of these stories are basically it's almost like the same story lots of times with, with the exceptions of the of the two stories with female narrators or female protagonists but um, they're, they're different variations on the same thing so sometimes you'll have a character who's like Fliegelman and and you know he's, he's ridiculous but we, we like him and then you'll have another character who might be almost you know Fliegelman concentrated but he's a, he's a, he's a horrendously awful, um, intolerable person, <laughs> or so on. And you've got some people who are like more sympathetic, less sympathetic, who are more functional, less functional, all, all sort of struggling with the same, the same problems with different degrees of the same problems, or different, different amounts of the same idiosyncratic you know, quirks. Um, this is audio, so you can't see me trying to um, sort of suppress my laughter at, at some of what you're saying, which is so 
keenly observant um, and really does come out in the work. So uh, do you have a favorite story? Yeah, some, of, some, yeah. of the, some of the characters are awful. They're just horrible <laughs> yeah. people. They're un, 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 intolerable. There's one guy who comes up a couple of times and he's just like the most, you know, vile symbol of, of misogyny you could ever imagine. <laughs> and yet we have to we have to stay in his head for for, for a few pages. <laughs> right. It's not it's not a pleasant place to be. No. Um, <laughs> um, but on the other hand, we do have we do. There's one story that I like. I think it's probably the most different, but it's my favorite in the collection. is is called Higher Education. Mm -hmm. In in the original, it's called a Kursistke, which just means like a female student. Um, I changed the titles just because I thought that sounds like a, that sounds like the title of the story in English. Um, and here we have, a, it's, it's a young woman who's, who's studying in, in university, um, and she's, a, she's like a social revolutionary, she's like a, a Marxist um, ideologue. She's, you know, really, really caught up with the socialist movements happening at the time. Um, but then things get complicated when she meets like a, a rich man, and they have she sees what a, what a comfortable life could be like. So there's this struggle between her, her idea, idealism and her beliefs uh, on the one hand, and, you know, wouldn't it be easier to just have a nice house and <laughs> settle down and have nice furniture and, and, and go to the theater and things like that? So this is, I think it's an interesting depiction of, of a character that's different from the others. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a sympathetic depiction of a person who's not, again, not like, not quite like Lomberg at all. And it's, it's honest. I mean, mm. <laughs> I think anybody yeah. who's pursuing something and feeling like, hmm, maybe I could have taken the other path. Right, and in this one, there's, there's some of the stories are very different layers of irony and so on. And I think that one doesn't, that one is more, more honest, like you say. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you so much. Um, it's a wonderful collection, Warsaw Stories, uh, and before I let you go, quickly, um, is there an easy answer to this? What are you working on next? <laughs> I think you're working on a lot. Well, I'm 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 I'm, I'm working on on trying to pay the rent mm -hmm. because I am a, like I am full time now doing translation from Yiddish. So a lot of the stuff I'm doing are things like um, you know trans like translating old letters and, and manuscripts that people sent me, um, translating you know books that people's grandparents have written for private, you know, just for private individuals. And so that's what I'm doing most of the time. At the moment, I'm juggling lots of, lots of different projects. But it's, also, it's quite interesting how people find me and, and, and what they bring to me and so on. Um, and on the other side of the page, what you bring to us um, in your work, which is just, it's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, and we look forward to seeing a next collection of work. Well, I have, I have a complete, I have, I have a whole set of more Nomberg stories. If anyone, any publishers are listening out there, <laughs> there's more where that came from. Oh. <laughs> We're wearing the white goat press hat. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Daniel, and thank you. Um, thanks for joining us today. And look forward me. to um, talking to you about your, your next release. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. For our listeners interested in the book, Warsaw Stories by Hirsch David Nomberg, translated by Daniel Kennedy, you can find the work on shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. 
You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.